Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. Knock, knock. Who's there? Sam and Janet. Sam and Janet who? Sam and Janet evening, when you find your true love. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano, and from APM American Public Media, this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that helps you win your next dinner party. Our icebreaker this week came from Miranda July. Her new film, The Future, is in select theaters in the present. Yes. And coming up, Mike Cahill and Britt Marling, the duo behind another new movie called Another Earth, plus a badass bell, undercover whiskey, and cut off your arms. I will not. But first, you don't need them for this. <laughs> that's true, just my lips. But first, small talk. All week long, you've been hearing this. Hitting the debt ceiling is the talk of the nation's capital. A private funeral for British soul singer Amy Winehouse. Today is the first day that New York same-sex couples are allowed to marry. Now for something you haven't heard, we turn to Jeremy Hobson. He is a host for the Marketplace Morning Report. Jeremy, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? So, you know, uh, occasionally at a traffic light here in L.A., they have a camera on the top and they take a picture of your car. If you go through the red light, then they'll send you a ticket. Oh, yes. Those are headshots. (laughs) Well, uh, it turns out that you don't actually have to pay those camera tickets. They're voluntary. What? What? Yeah. Uh, they're getting rid of the camera tickets altogether in LA because it turns out they're losing money. But a city councilman has revealed that, in fact, you don't have to pay them at all. Nothing happens to you if you don't. So oh what about all the thousands of people who have paid? That's like a $500 ticket, right? Sadly, they will not be issuing refunds for those people. What, <laughs> <laughs> what else is like this? Is like, are red lights themselves voluntary? Yeah. Armed robbery? Is that not a crime anymore? No. We gotta read the fine print of our penal code. I didn't code. read the minutes of the entire LA City Council meeting, <laughs> but it could be that they have revealed that other things are in fact voluntary too. Well, actually, I did see yeah. this article. If you read further, all these cameras were actually put up for a Radiohead video. It's gonna be introduced <laughs> next year. Perhaps. <laughs> Jeremy Hobson, thanks for the small talk. Absolutely. And now, time for cocktails. Once again, we tell you something that happened this week in history, then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's like history is a backyard nudist frolicking through sprinklers of booze. Wow, history lives next door to me, apparently. (laughs) Oh, no. Uh, Here's our history. This week, back in 1862, one of the Civil War's most notorious figures was captured for the first time. But not the last. Michelle Philippi has the story. Belle Boyd was a fun-loving Virginia debutante. Oh, and a deadly spy. She got involved in the Civil War at age 17 when she shot a Union soldier to death for insulting her mom. Union officers investigated and decided Belle was entirely justified. She was just that charming. Belle put those charms to work for the South. She'd sweet-talk Union soldiers into disclosing troop positions. She'd persuade them to escort her into Confederate territory, then hand them over as war prisoners. She was so notorious. One Union paper said the prettiest fashion accessory she could wear would be, quote, a Yankee noose encircling her neck. But Yankee men apparently couldn't bear to incarcerate Belle. She was captured in July 1862 and released a month later. Same thing happened the next year. And the year after that, a Union captain caught her again. Then he helped her escape to England and married her. Belle and her captain waited out the last two years of the war in the UK, during which time she wrote a memoir and became a successful actress, of course. 
So that's the history. Now for the drink. I'm speaking with Derek Brown, owner and bartender at the Columbia Room in Washington, D.C., where Bell Boyd was first incarcerated in the old Capitol prison. Derek, what cocktail does that story inspire? Well, her nickname was La Belle Rebelle, and that was what I decided I would call the cocktail. La Belle Rebelle. Yeah. All right. Very French for an American drink, but there yeah, you are. There you go. <laughs> It's really based off of the Ricky, which is D.C.'s native cocktail, and was officially made so recently by D.C. Council. Nice. Not by the federal Congress in D.C. because they can't come to a decision on anything anymore. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Yeah, Maybe they should have a Ricky and talk about it. <laughs> All right. So what's in this thing? It's really simple. It starts with about an ounce and a half of rye whiskey. Okay. Then we add a dash of Boker's Bitters. Boker's Bitters were actually available in the middle of the 19th century, so she might have actually had access to them. And also this could represent the bitter tears of the fallen of the Civil War. <laughs> that is actually more thought than I put into it. That's a wonderful, <laughs> poetic sort of suggestion. Sure. Um, then to that we add uh, a little bit of lime, an ounce of tart cherry juice. Ooh. And this is, of course, no commentary on her character. Of course not. <laughs> Pour it over some ice and top it with soda water. So it sort of sounds like the whiskey's hidden under lots of tart and sweet things. Absolutely. Kind of sneaks up on you. That's correct. Like a spy. (laughs) And Brendan, little fact, you know the Union soldier that Bell married? I I don't, personally. (laughs) Well, he died, Uh and then she married another Union soldier. (laughs) Wow. So basically, if you were in the Union and she did not shoot or betray you, then she would marry you, apparently. (laughs) I think nice now lady. I'm supposed to make a joke about how shooting, betraying, and marriage are all the same yeah. if, if we were in the Borscht Belt. About 50 years ago. <laughs> Folks, you might want to shoot our website when you find out that its search function doesn't work. But once you find all the drink recipes there, you will want to marry it. Ah. It's dinnerpartydownload.org. Our guests of honor this week are Mike Cahill and Britt Marling. They both wrote the new film, Another Earth, which won a prize at Sundance earlier this year and is now being released nationally. Uh, Mike directed the film, and Britt stars in it. Britt, if you could, uh, please tell us what this movie is about. To tell the story very concisely, on the night of the discovery of a duplicate Earth or parallel universe, a girl gets into a car accident with a guy, and their lives become sort of bound. And she goes to apologize four years after being in prison. And she lies about who she is, so he doesn't know who she is, and they begin this unlikely relationship. This film is part science fiction, and it's part... We call it a sci-fi romantic thriller. Three things, a sci-fi romantic thriller. When you were writing it, though, you have to think of an ideal audience. So who were you thinking about? Mike's mom. Mike, why was she thinking about your mom? I don't know. I just found that out right now. Um, I think our, our audience was our 10 closest friends. Actually, we only have like three closest friends. It was made with that kind of, I don't know, a handmade love to it. Like, I mean, Mike is, you know, I mean, he did everything on this movie. And I was doing like my makeup and William's makeup in between takes and getting our costumes out of bins at the Goodwill. And it, it has that, I think, handmade feel to it, which is part of what I think grounds the sci-fi in like an intimacy or, or something that feels real. You co-wrote the film, right? Yeah, we wrote it together. When you were writing the character Rhoda, did you know that you were going to end up playing her? Oh my gosh, yes, because why would you ever go through all the hard work of writing something and not be in it? I can't even imagine it. I'm wondering what happens when a writer-actor is writing something and the character turns into something that maybe they're not suited to play. Uh, you know, where does your allegiance lie? That's a good question. I, You know what I, I like to feel, and maybe this is weird, but I like if I feel nervous about 
it, then I know it's good. I was nervous as we were writing this and nervous when it came to the part of making it because I wasn't, my experience is so outside of her, Rhoda's experience. I She's so different. And when you feel that nervousness, you know you're going to have to stretch somewhere in you. And that, I think, is the good feeling about acting is that you don't have to choose a set of human experiences. You get to spend the rest of your life living like every human experience, things that are really far outside what you would know. So basically, you never have to confront your true self. Is that why you're acting, Britt? I'm hiding from myself. I should, I should, I should probably go into therapy. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mike, it sounds like this movie was shot for a pretty limited budget. How did that affect uh, the decisions you made while making the film? That was a gift, actually. There's this great movie by Lars von Trier called The Five Obstructions. And the sort of like lesson or thesis of that is that constraints are an artist's greatest gift. And so the fact that we had such a limited budget our minds were going like in so many directions trying to figure out how to achieve what we wanted to achieve. I managed to pull off a car crash for like $200, a serious car crash. So you're asking for a small budget again, I'm asking for your next film. No, no, I was hoping, I was actually hoping to have different constraints on the next one, because been there, done that, you know? Like, you don't want to cramp your style, Mike. I think Hollywood will respond. Um, okay, I have two standard questions that we ask in every show. And the first question is, what question are you tired of being asked? The one question that I don't like to answer is what the ending means. Doesn't that bring up conflicting feelings as a writer? Because you want, don't you kind of want everyone to get it? I think there's a thing about ambiguity that's good and there's a thing that's bad. And if you're completely lost and you have no idea what's going on, that's bad. But Mike always says if you watch the film enough times, you'll know what was meant and it won't be am ambiguous. But I don't know if that's just a ploy. Except for DVD sales. Actually, I stole that from an interview that I saw Chris Nolan explain Inception. <laughs> I just took that as a quote. Okay, well, our second question is, tell us something we don't know, and it can be either about you or the world at large. I mean, this is so on the spot, so I'm just going to throw down. Um, we started making short films at Georgetown, which is totally renegade. Like, we had went into the National Gallery at one point, and we literally took one of our own paintings and tacked it up on the wall and filmed the scene of me going through the National Gallery, like walking by the painting I had painted. Incidentally, putting a picture up on the wall in a museum is not that hard. It's the taking it down afterwards that's the hardest thing to do. Security guards get a little uncomfortable. You're stealing the painting that you put there. It was funny because I remember all these art students like taking notes on it. <laughs> We tacked the painting up and then left. And by the time we came back, there was all these high school art students who were like taking notes on the painting. Yeah, it was a Gerhard Richter exhibit yeah. too. I remember that. Perfect. So Rico, Britt and Mike actually met as economic students at Georgetown. Right. And Britt actually turned down a job at Goldman Sachs. Wow. Yeah. Speaking of parallel universes. <laughs> exactly. Goldman, buddy. One where she could buy the National Gallery. <laughs> Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's the Dinner Party download for this week. Special thanks to Jackson Musker, Brendan Willard, Peter Clowney, and Ellen Gettler. And now we leave you with One for the Road, a song to listen to on your way to or returning from this weekend's dinner party. The band is called Cut Off Your Hands. Or else. They don't sound that tough, though. No. And the song is called You Should Do Better. Bon appétit.
I'm Rico Galliano. Dude, what are you doing? I'm just giving you an idea of what it'll be like next week while I'm on a beach in Croatia. When you're what? Later, dude.